we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. I think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. College Game Day hits the road at a sparse but enthusiastic crowd in Knoxville. Did you even know signing day was yesterday? Shall we revamp the calendar again and Senior Bowl adventures with Pete Thamel, who perhaps is bidding to become Mobile's King Mardi Gras. This is the College Game Day podcast for Groundhog Day, but you never get repetitive things over and over on the College Game Day podcast with Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. Pete, uh, great to see you virtually here and great to talk with you again. We'll get to the Senior Bowl. Let's talk a little bit about Stetson Bennett and his travails off the field and decision not to go to the Senior Bowl. But uh, we have started College Game Day Basketball. I know you were busy. Did you happen to see our friend Seth Greenberg attempt to recreate the Pat McAfee splash into the Tennessee River last week? I did. I did. I noticed the lack of bubbles coming up as you guys guys saw his... uh... (laughs) But he made it though. He was there all. He was there all morning. But uh, yes, I did enjoy the uh, creativity. I, I that smelled of a Jeff Brown idea. Was that a Jeff Brown idea? It, it was. It was. Uh, it was a combo idea. It sort of came up with among Gallagher, um, Jeff Brown, who's the producer of College Game Day. Drew Gallagher is coordinating producer of both Game Day football and basketball, and me. And because we were talking, I said, well, we need to roll that in, you know, of Pat jumping into the river. And then one thing led to another. The one thing missing from it that I wanted, and I know that I'm of a certain age and like a certain, I like slapstick comedy. I don't know if you recall the old British uh, show, the old Benny Hill show, or uh, like old school with Rodney Dangerfield. I wanted the obvious uh, the obvious sight gag dummy flipping over and over, you know, triple Lindy style and splashing into the Tennessee. And as it was, uh, they, the, the dummy that they used, not calling Seth a dummy. I mean, like a dummy that they used dressed like Seth was dressed weighed about 180 pounds. So throwing it into the air became difficult. I still wanted to do it, but. They, they edited that together so expertly that there were, there were many people who believed Seth actually went into the water McAfee style and he, he most certainly did not. He, it was, it was a little chilly and I'm not sure he was going in anyway. But the one thing that was amazingly lifelike was, you know, Billis and me looking and me going, yeah, you think we ought to fish him out? And Jay <laughs> wondered, yeah, aren't there supposed to be bubbles? Ah, he'll figure it out. No, that that would have been. Where did you buy flippers? I that I don't know. Our our crew uh, can come up with just about anything that you want. So so uh, Parker Daigle, Stephen Hensler, oh, yeah. Trish Ferguson, who's our makeup artist, who gets involved in all of these. They they came up with the entire ensemble that that Seth had, including the flippers. I'm not sure if he if he took them home to go into the Farmington River when he goes back to Connecticut <laughs> or not. He might. He might. Have. <laughs> But it was uh, that seemed it like was, a lot it, of fun. It was a, de- it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the crowd wasn't certainly wasn't anything like it was at football for college sure. game day on Rocky Top. But they were enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our our pal Rick Barnes has a terrific team. 
they they, they lost do. last yeah. night as we speak. They went down to Gainesville, but teams are going to lose on the road in college basketball this year because there's not an overwhelming great, overwhelmingly great team. I mean, uh, yeah. we we went on the bus after Tennessee to Kentucky to watch Kansas and Kentucky. Two good teams. Kansas much better than Kentucky, but Kentucky's good. And, sure. and people think they're not right now, but they played really well uh, against Kansas. They just weren't good enough to beat them. And, you know, so I think that's sort of what we what we have in store in college basketball. Is even, you know, it was on a Saturday when Alabama, people were arguing maybe they should be number one instead of Purdue, and they got beat by 5,000 points by an average Oklahoma yeah. team. It felt like every team in the SEC – it felt like every team in the SEC Big 12 Challenge won at home. I know that's oversimplifying that's right. it a little bit, but that's college basketball in a lot of ways, you know. No, you're 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 right. That's pretty much what happened. There were a couple of road wins, but nothing of of any great significance or or import. You're at the Senior Bowl, and this has always been a, sort of a, a scouting haven. Guys elevate themselves. Uh, you're much more locked into that because I've been involved in this time of year, uh, locked in on college basketball for, you know, 20 some odd years at ESPN. But I, I certainly pay attention to it. The name that jumps out at me from years gone by that sort of, while people certainly knew about him, but certainly elevated himself, uh, at the senior bowl was Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, that, that's a fair assessment, right? From back oh, in yeah. the day. Huge, okay, so, huge name. Yeah, so he was a guy who was able to do that. And I, I don't know that let, – let's just start with uh, biggest star, two-time national champion in, in college football, Stetson Bennett, who opted not to go to the Senior Bowl. And while there are Mardi Gras-like festivities in abundance in Mobile this week, uh, even with that temptation, as it turns out, Stetson probably would have been better off in Mobile than Dallas, apparently. But – um did Stetson has Stetson done himself any favors by choosing not to participate at the Senior Bowl this week? I think he made a huge mistake. Um, the NFL's questions about Stetson Bennett uh, before his arrest revolved around his nightlife activities, his character, and you know his willingness to get his nose in the playbook. Uh, Stetson Bennett is an unbelievable story, and he was an unbelievable player. He was not Johnny Walk-On. He was not the guy who was in the meeting room first and stayed at the throw out the facility at midnight. Stetson Bennett enjoyed his college experience. And this is not an indictment. I enjoyed my college experience. Everyone else did. But when scouts looked at him, and look, he would be drafted as a potential backup, right? And he would be a late-round pick. Um, and you and I have varied on the Stetson Bennett NFL thing over the years. But I've just talked to scouts who are so skeptical of the person – that they're not going to give the player a chance. Now, as an archetype, Stetson Bennett is a unicorn. Um, he is short and he is light. And there's some stat that I'm going to bungle, but basically there are two quarterbacks, 5'11 and under and 190 pounds and under, some paradigm in that, in that realm, that have been drafted since 2000. And I believe they are Seneca Wallace, from Iowa State and the immortal Joe Hamilton from Georgia Tech who played in more Thursday night football games in my memory than anyone else <laughs> in America. Um, so you're not exactly like in an elite club there physically. And the NFL draft, as we've seen over and over and over, and we've also seen this to the detriment of teams and how they pick, is a height, weight, speed draft. 
after you get through the top 100 picks. It's like, well, we want this guy. We want him to run down on special teams. We want a big body. We want a healthy body. And Spetson Bennett does not have height. He doesn't have weight. He doesn't have speed. He's 25, which is a huge indictment. Scouts don't want to draft a guy who's already heading into his, you know, physical twilight. Um, so Setson Bennett had a bunch of things working against him. Now, working for him, we saw it all. He has great tape. Mm-hmm. He made huge plays. He, you know, looked adversity in the eye over and over again. He looked impossible situations in the eye over and over again and won. I mean, he played like a monster against Alabama last year in a title game. He played like a monster against uh, Ohio State uh, coming back in that game. Like, there are some great moments for Stetson Bennett. And I think if Stetson Bennett had better work habits, and I think if Stetson Bennett profiled as a better backup, he could get drafted. But the problem with his arrest, Reese, well, not coming here was bad because he could have been exposed to all these different teams and people could have got to know him and somebody could have fallen in love with him. And sometimes, a scout gave me this example this year, there's a quarterback from like, I think North Dakota, the Steelers picked in like the sixth round, somebody I'd never heard of. And the scout, he wasn't for that team. He's like, you know what? Some offensive coordinator might have sat there and said, we really love this guy. And the GM or head coach, we really love this guy. And the GM throws up his hands and says, "Yeah, we'll give you one." You know, like we'll we'll, mm-hmm. we'll take a flyer on a guy if you think if you have that conviction about him, and he can turn into a backup from a sixth, seventh round pick. We'll just you know we'll let you have that. So, is there a chance Stetson Bennett could do that? Yes, there is, but not going to the Senior Bowl, and then his arrest reaffirmed all of the scouts' fears. Like this is exactly what you don't want to happen. Yeah, I want to clarify one thing because it gets thrown out there and it happened with, uh, with our buddy Todd McShay and Jalen Carter. You, when you say that scouts have told you, uh, questions about Stetson's character, we're not talking. I mean, obviously there, I mean, if you want to lump character into like, into enjoying going out and having a good time, <laughs> it may be, it may be closing down establishments. If you're lumping it into that, that's one thing. And the things that you talked about um, in terms of playbook, intensity and in workouts, all of that kind of stuff that you sort of need from an NFL backup. That's what you're talking about. You're not talking about that they're saying, hey, look, Football this, is a bad, this is a bad person. Correct. You're talking about, He's not you're a, talking yeah. about, you're talking about playbook, work habits, yes. um, not, not getting by on moxie, which candidly you can't <clears throat> do in the NFL. I don't, you know what? You, I don't care who you are. Even the, even the ultra talented physical prototypes can't just get by on either their ability, their moxie or their, you know, gun instinct for the game. They, they've got to know how the coverage is disguised. They have to because everybody's elite at that level. Fair enough. Yes. I think football character is probably a better term than character. That's, I appreciate mm-hmm. you bringing that up because I'm certainly not assailing him as a as a person he he probably profiled as a normal college student more or less yeah right yeah like yeah you know won a few last and, and calls I'm, yeah you know, and, maybe, and by the way know. i'm i'm not casting aspersions at at todd with the Jalen carter thing earlier because yeah. because let's just leave it at this todd didn't make it up i mean, oh yeah you know no yeah and yeah. and this and that also was you know some of the things that they they were talking about now look Maybe, maybe it, whenever you say something like that, whether it's about Stetson, Jalen Carter, or anybody else in the country, it gets blown up from the original yes. intention of the source, and it gets 
it gets really blown up from the intention of what the reporter says. The reporter is relaying the information, you know, that he has, that he has been Correct. given in context. And then people then, uh, oftentimes infer what was not implied. They infer that it means they're a horrible person. They never go to practice. They do this. They do that. And that's not what, what they're talking about. You know, they're talking about things that you say, the, the dedication to the playbook, the, you know, the being locked in and being, um, you know, exercising your discipline at all times. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that either of those guys does or doesn't do that. I'm just giving an example of what the conversation is about when you have those types of conversations with coaches about their own players or when you have them with scouts who are observing them, who have talked to the coaches about their own players. Yeah. One thing that, that's interesting and it's reaffirmed kind of being down here and hanging out with scouts all week and, you know, talking to college coaches who are announcing their guys is scouts Reese, have really become like reporters. And I say that to scouts and they kind of laugh because nobody wants to be a reporter. Right. Um, but <laughs> they the, all do Pete. They just don't like to yes, admit it. <laughs> yes. So this is my, this is my joke with scouts. So if you want to evaluate a left guard from ball state, it, there is so much technology available in in, in 19 seconds, you can get every time he pulled on a third down in the second half on the road. Like, there's no mystery to the evaluation, right? You have all the quantifiable metrics, the 225, the bench, the speed, the boom, boom, you know. And you have – you can watch over and over again his lift, his power, his get-off, his hand, you know, all the, all the stuff. There is – it used to be the scouts went and watched guys play, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now – you don't have to because every snap, every practice is available on video somehow. So there's no mystery to that side. I'm not saying it's not easy to evaluate it, but the information is there. So when these scouts show up in these buildings, what they're really looking for is character. Does he smoke weed? This is general now. I'm not talking about anything specifically. Does he smoke weed? Uh, how does he treat the lunch ladies? What's he like in academics? It's sort of the... You know, and really what what I, I did a series a couple of years ago, the Dolphins uh, let me in for a year and I followed, followed around their scouts, meaning I like kind of profiled six or seven guys, what they do, what they look for. The essence of scouting and what they have to find is, does he love football? Is he motivated and does he love football? Because the NFL is a lot of, it's week 15, we're five and nine or, or whatever, and is he going to play banged up and play hard? And does he love and, and grind through, you know, the the toll of an NFL season? So ultimately, scouts show up in these buildings like reporters. Nobody really wants them there. Nobody's particularly nice to them. They're kind of awkward, like they're in the building because they can sit in like a cubicle in a closet. But, you know, they don't know if they can go get a coffee. They don't, you know, like like the, the people are told not to talk to them. Like, oh, you can't, you know, the assistant strength coach can't talk to the reporters. It's only the strength coach, whatever it is. And their job is to ask questions that people don't want to answer and find uncomfortable information about these prospects. So that is a lot of what scouting has become. It, the, the, the one takeaway quote from that Dolphin series I did maybe five years ago was, if you get the person wrong, you get the player wrong. And the onus of modern scouting is scouting the person and not the player. I want to I want to talk about that just for a second because it's always fascinated me. Because while there are certainly some parallel paths between what you and I do in our fields, there there are some things that are that are very different as well. I've always been fascinated by this embedded reporter thing 
And that's that's not what what a television host does. You know, certainly I, when I was um, hosting raps in the studio for college football and college basketball, there, there's just not the time uh, to sure. do that. Nor nor would it be profitable. What what is that like for a year? How do you keep the information organized? And even if it's a lengthy series. That and I don't know who who are you working for then Yahoo or Sports Illustrated or who are you working for? Yeah, I was working for Yahoo. So even if they give you a lot of bandwidth, a a multi-part series to do this, there's still information overload that has to be inevitable from being in that environment for an entire year. Give me a quick rundown of how you organize it, how you do, do you record everything? Are you note taker? Do you have, um, do, do you have an automatic memory that gives you instant recall of every conversation? So do you get <laughs> a quote right? How, how do you organize the information and not only acquire the information because you have to build trust and obviously you've done that or, or else they wouldn't have let you do this to begin with. But the, the flip side of it is how do you, how do you compile, organize and then and then edit that that volume of information. Well, generally poorly on the organization part, right? That would, <laughs> that would be the, uh, that would be the first answer. Um, for that, I believe. So usually, you know, like any reporter, I just have a million notebooks. I'm not some some reporters are like accountants, and they have every quote they've ever gotten in, in one place. I'm a little bit more disheveled. But for that series, I had like specific leather bound notebooks that were just for the Dolphins project and. Really, I think it ended up being 10 parts. Um, I'd have to go back and look. It lives on the internet somewhere. But it wasn't like I was there every day, right? So it was, I'm going to go to the, you know, Ohio State-Texas game or whatever the big game that year was. The Dolphins are going to have two scouts there. These are guys I know a little bit. I'm going to follow them around pregame. What do they do? How does it work? Like, like they sort of just taught me their jobs. Um, the most memorable part of that series was being with, uh, Matt Winston, who's one of the Dolphins national scouts now. He li- he's based in the, in the Dallas area. Uh, really, really good guy. We were driving. We had, he had scouted Houston that day. I think this is major Applewhite era Houston, if I remember the years right. And he was driving back and when we're in, he was going to go through Texas the next day. I think it was early Houston, Tom Herman, Texas. And we got a flat tire. So it was me and him in his truck and we got a flat tire in like Bastrop, Texas. Um, and so it's 11 at night on a dark Texas highway and the, you know, the 18 wheelers are rolling by and I can still feel them in my lungs, like, like a big 18 wheeler rolls through. So we actually saw him from a distance yesterday. I didn't get a chance to say hello, but we always, we always laugh about that. He's like, this is scouting. You know, we're in the dark on the side of the road with our iPhone flashlights. And he's like, this is scouting right here. This is scouting. So um, that sounded, that sounded like the start of a hotel California parody song. Yes. On a dark yes. bastard highway, <laughs> cold wind in my hair. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, he eventually got sorry. like that. I, I think resist. it was like a rental truck, and he, he like he eventually got the tire uh, to go and, and and everything like that. So it all it all worked out. But it was just uh, it was a it was a funny memory. So from an organization standpoint, what I tried to do is like I can't tell you like I like spent a day and then wrote the article the next day because that's not how how reporters work. But mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't, in my memory anyway, make it so like I have to write 10 stories in three days. So I tried to like space it out a little bit and carve time to to do that. But organization, I guess, was probably the key. I would have all my recorded stuff 
I think at that point I probably had somebody transcribing for me that I paid to transcribe. So I would take all the audio stuff, send that out, make sure I read it, make sure I digested it, highlighted the best stuff, had at least Mm -hmm. the archetypes and the outlines of what I wanted to do. Because you do series like that, you're like, okay, in part one, I want to make sure I get this point across. And I'm going to use this scene, this person, this thing to get this point across. Week two, I want to do this. And um, we kind of just did like pin drops throughout the season, fall practice, uh, big games. And then there's like different meetings where they all come back and everything. So anyway, it was probably the most interesting project I ever worked on because I just learned a ton about that world. And I think I feel like I have a better fundamental understanding of that world, um, you know, because they were so generous with their time. Mike Tannenbaum was the president of the team at the time. He's obviously our colleague mm-hmm. now. And uh, he yeah. was the one, uh, I, I will be eating breakfast with him when we finish our podcast. Um, he's an old friend and he's the one who sort of uh, cracked that door open for me to uh, do it. And he did it because he felt like these guys worked hard and were sort of the unsung foot soldiers of an NFL franchise. And we quite frankly, just wanted to give them some credit. So, mm-hmm. um, that's, uh, that's how we ended up, uh, how I ended up doing it. And, uh, but at the end I was writing like, you know, it was like, you know, crazy, cr- you know, it was like anything else. It's like finals yeah. week. I was like b- buried under it all. I, Al Toby, my old editor at Yahoo, uh, handled the project, did a great job, was patient with me who, you know, needs patience sometimes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it ended up being, it ended up being a, uh, it ended up being a lot of fun. So every week on game day, and this is not anything like that. But in, in, except in this particular way, let's say there's a mountain of information and things that I would like to get across. And I don't think that there has been a single show, maybe in my career, uh, in, in terms of this type of show, Sports Center back way back in the day, back when I used to have to do that was way different because everything's scripted. And in these types of shows, game day, football, basketball, uh, hosting drafts, uh, things like that, th- those things aren't scripted. But inevitably, organized but not scripted, just to be clear. We're not just throwing stuff out there and talking. But inevitably, every time, there's something that I wish I'd relayed. There's something that didn't get brought up, whether it was because of time, uh, maybe maybe it slips your mind in the moment, or maybe you want to. And as a, uh, you know, as a host, I'm thinking sometimes one of the things you want to avoid is looking like, that you're sitting in the back of a class going, oh, oh, and I know this, you know, so sometimes you hold, you know, some nugget or piece of information, anecdote, quote, whatever, because you don't want to come across that way because your partners have said something else. But there's always some regret. Boy, I really think that would have been cool. People would have liked that, but it didn't fit and I didn't get it in. Any anecdote, story, quote, from that series, or if there's something else that jumps out at you that you didn't get in, it didn't fit, and it wasn't an oversight. You just didn't get to it. Anything that you remember like that that you didn't that you didn't get in, either from that or in your career. Well, that was a few years ago, so I don't have anything that you know. You know what? I will, I will say this, um, and I didn't put this in, and I probably should have. Right? You're always like, "Oh, that sounds unbelievable. Why didn't you put it in?" Um, <laughs> <laughs> Early in the project, uh, Mike Tannenbaum made a joke. So the, the Dolphins at the time, and again, the names are going to blur together because it was five years ago and I don't cover mm-hmm. the NFL. Mm-hmm. They were pretty loaded at safety. Um, they had a good veteran safety, and then they had a couple like fifth-round pick-type guys they hit on that were like good uh, good safeties. And he – like this is in 
October. And he's like, in, and you know what? He's like, we're going to be sitting there at whatever pick and Minka Fitzpatrick's going to fall to us and we're going to have to take him. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. Like, like it was like he predicted it in, you know, just in cat. And he didn't even remember saying it to me. Um, yeah. So I, th- like the night of the draft, I said, Hey, do you remember? And he was like, no, that's amazing. And it, but it was just sort of like, but the amount of thought and the amount of time and the amount different prospects are chewed over. Now, he busts my chops because as a prospect, I hated Josh Allen. Hated him. Now, again, <laughs> I look completely stupid right now for hating Josh Allen, right? But there was two things about Josh Allen I didn't like. One, I am a believer, and history would tell you that you cannot teach accuracy. Now, he I agree. Is the, he is the unicorn that has defied that principle. Now, I loved his arm strength. I loved his moxie. I loved his athleticism. But if you are not an accurate passer, now forget the games against Oregon that he struggled and the, you know, the Iowa. Three, yeah, Iowa. Yeah. He had a bunch yeah. of showcase games where he was not good. But he was also like, it wasn't like he went up against New Mexico and completed 76% of his passes either. Like he was an inaccurate college quarterback. Wire to wire, soup to nuts. So it def- it defied logic to me that he could go to the NFL and become one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL, which is exactly what he's done. I give him a ton of credit. Like I think when people hear criticism, sometimes they think you're criticizing the person or whatever. No, as a prospect, as a pure like evaluating, it would be like, I recommend you buy Amazon stock. I recommend you don't buy Amazon stock. My opinion of Josh mm-hmm. Allen was that I did not think he could translate into a functional high-end NFL quarterback, and he did. And I loved Josh Rosen. So I'm going to tell you right now, don't hire me to draft your quarterback because I will fail. I thought Josh Rosen was smart. I loved his arm talent. I thought he was accurate. I was at the game at the Rose Bowl when I came back against Texas A&M. So I sort of had that like moxie moment. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Josh Rosen is wheezing through the twilight of an underwhelming NFL career. And Josh Allen is trajectorying to be a Hall of Famer. So it's it's. Um, it's yeah. what makes it so difficult, Pete, in at that position particularly, but really all of them, because I was with you on Josh Allen. Now, I, I didn't have the level of disdain, but I didn't believe because of precisely what you said, the performances in the big games and the accuracy. And I, I'm of that belief, too, that you can rarely, rarely teach accuracy. But I do believe guys can improve and they're not finished products. And I actually was around Josh a little bit the week of the draft, his draft year. And that helped win me over. The one thing, even from watching him at Wyoming, that I didn't fully appreciate, I think, was his level of athleticism. You was a good athlete. But I mean, yeah. now you oh, watch yeah. him with the Bills and you go, man, this is this guy. Yeah. If it's third and three, they're running a quarterback read and he's going to get it. Like that's. He's going to get know. it. Yeah. And so, but he was a really uh, uh, engaging, impressive guy. So I, I'm happy for his success, but I didn't believe. Yes. I did differ with you on Rosen, but it was not because of any. I, I agreed with all of the football evaluation stuff and even not, you know, I'd been around him a little bit too. Um, from being at UCLA camp when he was when he was young when Jim Mora was there but there was there was something that made me skeptical of drafting him highly you know that I don't it was yeah. sort of like a little it thing it's like ah and you know that that's all subjectivity that's why they say in the draft all 30 all 32 teams don't have to love you you know only one 
Only one team has to love you. And yeah. that's, that's why there's a subjective quality. It's like, it's like watching broadcasters, listening to podcasts or reading reporters. Sometimes, you know, you might acknowledge, yes, they do it well. I just don't, that's not my cup of tea. You know, and that's, that's part of it too. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You know, another guy that, you know, and there's been the big debate as the Eagles head to the Super Bowl about Jalen Hurts. And, you know, uh, even even to the to me, the absurd, you know, was it the wrong move to bench Jalen Hurts for Tua? It was the only move at the time. Yes. But what happens but what happens is when you get to the draft evaluation is that we limit collectively, those of us who observe this, and I think scouts even do it sometimes too. We limit the ability to improve. We assume that everybody going to the draft is to some degree a finished product or that if they're not a finished product, well, history, because of the history thing, the history tells us they'll only improve. There's only this much more to go. And I'm holding, for those listening, I'm holding my my thumb and forefinger close together. Only this much more to go once improvement. This is all you can do. Well, Josh Allen improved dramatically in his accuracy. And while I still wouldn't, you know, put Jalen Hurts in the pinpoint accuracy club, you know, especially maybe on stuff down the middle, he's pretty accurate on the outside. He's got a big arm and he has improved in all of these things, processing, decision making, you know, things doing it a little quicker because the thing, the thing with Jalen in college, uh, I think even in Oklahoma a little bit, this is particularly true at Alabama. Uh, maybe it's the product of being a coach's son. Maybe it's the product of playing for Nick Saban, who you want to avoid the mistakes. Jalen wanted to see it open, you know, at least in my, in my estimation on it. He wanted to see it open as opposed to throw it open. Now, I mean, look at, look at a couple of the balls he threw, uh, in the game against the 49ers early when the game was still in doubt. He didn't see that open. He threw the ball, you know, and it oh, was, yeah. uh, he's, he's shown great improvement. And I think that's, that's the trickiest part. Is that if you then say, okay, I like X, Y, and Z about Josh Allen. I love this. I really believe he's going to improve. You know, he's going to improve his accuracy. He's going to prove to be able to do these things. And then he doesn't. Well, then you get fired if you, <laughs> if the pick is too high on somebody like that. So there's a nature nurture aspect to all this too. Um, I think that for Jalen, the single most underrated part of his development is that, uh, he has Brian Johnson as his quarterback coach. Now I covered Brian Johnson as a player at Utah, as you probably did too. Mm -hmm. He was a high end assistant at Mississippi state with Dak Prescott and was key to his development there. And then he was at Florida and helped Kyle Trask go from a guy who didn't start in high school to a high end sec starter in college. And I think a lot of Jalen's 
progress has been due to development after getting drafted. And he's a testament that he is a completely evolved quarterback from what we saw at Oklahoma. And he certainly got good coaching in Oklahoma, right? Nobody's going to sit there and say Lincoln Riley held him back. So, and in Alabama, too. Um, I mean, had Brian Day. Absolutely. There, you know, for, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So. Yeah, no. So yeah. They're, 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 and that's a credit to him to not putting a ceiling on what he is and who he is and keeping evolving and uh, and keeping rolling. Um, I want to wind back for one more thing on Rosen because just when we were talking about that in in my mind, um, I remembered this. So the you know this is like 2017, I think, going into that draft. It might have been 2017 season, 2018. Um, I just get a I get a random text from a scout buddy who said we're sitting down in our scouting meeting going over Rosen again, and I had done a Sports Illustrated cover story on Rosen the year before this was going into his sophomore year and it was like a long profile and Rosen was like he was completely delightfully unfiltered and UCLA kind of knew it when they let me talk to him and uh you know so he said some like ridiculous things uh including uh I remember walking around his college apartment and he just looked at me and he said is this the frattiest room you've ever been in because it had like beer cans up and everything like that and I was like (laughs) I hadn't really thought about it, Josh. So the the scout said that they did like a read out loud of the, it was probably a 3,000, 4,000 word profile. They read out loud the entire profile twice in two different meetings to discuss the character of Josh Rose, which I thought was like unbelievable. Like that this team did not take Josh Rose. I don't even remember who drafted him, to be honest with you, but who did didn't, uh, didn't the Card- Cardinals took him, didn't they? Cardinals took him. That's right. They, think, uh, yeah, they, they did not take it, but it's just like, it, to me, it was like a funny little window into like, you know, what you say, like the, the, the thing people fail to understand about scouting, I think is the amount of depth that you know that they go in they know just as much about the gunner who could be a seventh round pick or an undrafted guy as they do the quarterback now that's probably people say well that's not smart you should spend more time on the quarterback no they are going to spend a lot of time on everybody and the, the jobs of these guys is to know these people inside and out um there's a famous story about a a bust, um, and I won't shame him, but who, you know, had an active nightlife in his college town. And the scouting department there knew what bar he went to, what he ordered, what, you know, like every Thursday he went to Reese's Tavern and he got a uh, crown and cool. I'm making it up. But like, like, so they, like they brought him in for a meeting and they're like, so when you go to Reese's Tavern on Thursday and you get a tequila sunrise, like who are you usually with? And he was like, you know, so like they knew the bartender's name. They knew the scouts who go through these towns, they go and they go out to the restaurants, they go to the bar, they meet these people. And if you go to a town 10 years in a row and you're wearing an NFL, like it's not hard to start a conversation in a small mm-hmm. college town with, you know, with the local tavern owner. I mean, you and I do it all the time. We walk in, someone says, hey, mm-hmm. you know, and like you, you end up meeting the people and then you come back next year and they're happy to see you. And, you know, you might get a free beer or, you know, free, free appetizer or something. So like the. I don't know. I think people go, oh, these scouts, what do these scouts know? They know a lot. Like, that's what I know. They are (laughs) a hardworking group. That is a – think about this. You know, you you think about any field, right? You can be an accountant. You can be a money manager. Like, you're you're, – there's 32 teams with similar scouting staffs looking at the same – let's just say how many players get drafted? Uh, 200? Um, 
So you're looking yeah, at what well, I mean, you can't just do the math because of the compensatory picks and then the yeah. Dolphins lose the first round of this year, all that stuff. Sure. It's, I can't Was Purdy like 246 or something? Yeah. That may be way off. So let's something say like that, though. 250 players and then another 250 players get undrafted free agent stuff. So the same, let's say each team has 10 scouts, just to use like a round number. The same 300 people, like 300 people are all looking at the same 500 guys and they're looking at the same thing. And they have to figure out who's the best, right? Like in, in every, you know, no, not everyone's working from the same information set because the experienced scouts know more people and they've been around and they know the assistant strength coach and they can call the, the coroner's coach and call him on his ride home and be like, don't draft that kid. He smokes weed every day and he's a jerk to the mm-hmm. lunch lady. So, mm-hmm. but it is a fascinating thing where, you know, this, you know, when the sixth round comes and the fans have checked out like, but it was interesting to read some stories. Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated did a great one last week of like how these teams are built, right? And you know, the, the guy who's blown me away, Reese, as a college football fan, was uh, Isaiah Pacheco from Rutgers. Mm-hmm. That guy looks like he was shot out of a cannon. I mean, he is electric. Now, mm-hmm. God bless Rutgers, and obviously they had significant offensive line troubles uh, and have the past couple of years there. But like, mother of mercy. What a what an electric player. And you have to f- look at that player within the scheme, within the limitations, and pick him out. But it was interesting to see how the Chiefs have got here through the prism of, hey, they picked up this guy in the seventh round, and he starts at nickel. Um, and, and just the th- that's where you make your money. Because if you have Patrick Mahomes and you want Patrick Mahomes, he is going to take up you know one-sixth of your cap forever and he's earned every penny of it so in order to build a contender around him it's those undrafted free agents and those late round picks in the you know um in the pachecos who who are the you know they, they are I and mean, those guys are getting real snaps in real time and uh you know they, they are bedrocks of your of your championship run Give me a give me one guy. I know it's early, still a few more practices to go, and then you'll see how the game plays out this weekend. Is there anyone who has created uh, unexpected buzz at the Senior Bowl so far? So I don't think it would be unexpected to you and I. I think sometimes the draft reaffirms what the hardcore college people know, and then the, the, like the NFL world evolves around them a little bit, right? So I, I would say that uh, if, if I said to you, Jake Hayner is creating buzz, you'd be like, of course he is. He was like a dominant yeah. player at Fresno. He went and slayed yeah. UCLA on the road. He came back from injury. I think Fresno has like the third or fourth longest win streak in the country right now. I think they won like nine games in a row. So – um, he has, he is the undersized marvel of the senior bowl. It is not a good crop of quarterbacks generally compared to, I mean, Josh Allen was here, uh, a, a couple years ago. Justin Herbert was here a couple years ago. Um, so it's, uh, Darren Hall, Jay Kaner, and Malik Cunningham is, is one set for the national team. And then Clayton Toon, Tyson, uh, I don't know how to say this. Bagent from Shepard. You probably don't even know how to say it. Recent. You can pronounce everyone's name. Um, yeah. The the, the Shepard quarterback D two from West Virginia um, has been here. Hendon Hooker is here, not playing, but he's interviewing. He's around. It was good to catch up with Hendon. We uh, had a laugh about uh, you and he filming that video in uh, Knoxville when we were over there for game day. And then obviously Max Duggan is here doing Max Duggan things. So I would say that Hayner has been you know a, a, a buzzy guy. Who's done a uh, who's done a really good job? Um, 
Jaden Reed, the receiver from Michigan State. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the COVID year. He caught 37 balls against Michigan as they went and blew them off the field when Michigan's, you know, early Mel Tucker, mm-hmm. Michigan State's rolling. And I don't want to say he didn't do anything after that, but he had a modest career after that. So he's been a he's been a guy who uh, our Jordan Reed really highlighted and uh, and thought he was, uh, you know, thought he's been strong. Um, I guess if I had to pick. Two other guys, just to sort of spitball a little bit here, who have jumped off the field. Uh, Ty J. Spears from Tulane. Now, again, you and I watched the Cotton Bowl, right? right? Yeah. Like, mother of mercy, he's obviously a prospect. And he was great for for, for years. I remember Will Hall, the Southern Miss coach, when he was at Tulane, um, going into the Spears' first year, he was like, Pete, this guy's going to be one of the best running backs in the country. So um, – Spears has had some electric plays and has been a uh, has been a really dynamic player. And then Oregon State tight end Luke Musgrave caught like sixty two balls yesterday. Now he was a dominant player early in the season, got injured mid season, and kind of fell off the radar a little bit. Uh, he has his uh, Pacific Northwest kind of goofy mustache, and uh, he look he's got a lot of traits. I was standing next to a scout yesterday, and he. He caught some balls and he was like, a lot of traits in that dude. And I was like, fair enough. So I wouldn't be surprised if Musgrave ends up early second. Well, with a tight end that has a, a weird mustache, that ought to elevate him like half a round just, to, yes. just immediately. It should help. Um, you were with Hendon Hooker. I got a few moments with Joe Milton while at Tennessee. Oh, good. The most surprising thing that happened with Joe is that we had him out to uh, – go to break before the half court shot where the student comes out and, you know, tries to get 19 grand. And so I'd said, well, let's have Joe because of the arm strength. Let's have Joe do full court. But instead Joe took some half court shots and so many of them came up short. It was kind of remarkable. It shows you the different, uh, the different sets of muscles and different, uh, uh, routine and different a muscle chain that needs to activate to be able to shoot a basketball from distance so I finally told him Joe just throw the thing and he goes where do you want it I said put it up in the stands up there and he let one a basketball oh, yeah, no, fly it. and just yeah. sent it into the stands now the shot uh actually he came back it was kind of funny after he had left several half-court shots short he said I think I'll stick to throwing things. I said, I think that's a good plan. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, that, that, there's a guy who's going to fill, fill all the boxes. And he also filled the boxes on signing day. Were you even aware? I mean, okay, I'm just going to ask if that were, were you even aware signing day came? I, I, I used to host day long TV shows that you were, you know, coverage that by the end of it, your eyes were glazed over and you were like, please yeah. let this end. You know, when the last guy was pulling, you know, uh, hats out and all that jazz. But yesterday, because of the early signing period and everything that's changed, I was, wasn't really even aware that signing day came because every, most everybody's class is virtually full anyway, you know, save yeah. for, you know, guys here and there. And there's so much emphasis on the portal now. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure this whole signing day thing is the early signing day thing is working very well. Now, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is because there was part of me when they did it said, well, if a kid's ready, go ahead, uh, let him do it. You know, maybe I, I saw someone suggest doing it before the season, but then you do that. Then you take away the senior season aspect of it. There's going to be no perfect solution. 
I'm almost to the point where I say just just move it back to February and just do it the way we used to. And if you have to fight off the late suitors, well, then that's recruiting. You're having to do it anyway. Guys are poaching uh, players off other rosters anyways. How much more difficult could it be to try to hold on to your recruits? I mean, because it's certainly taken the buzz away from the February version of the signing day. So I was aware, modestly aware it was signing day. Now, let's put it this way. I didn't like work on signing. No one was like, you need to run an article or you need to monitor this or, you know, um, Jaden Rashada signed. So that was like maybe a, 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 he uh, is obviously going to go to Arizona state, play for Kenny Dillingham. His dad, Harlan played at Arizona state. So that was like perhaps the most interesting thing on signing day. Now on my little swing through the South here, I went to, uh, I went to Troy for the day on Monday. And then I spent uh, a good part of Wednesday morning with, uh, Kane Womack at uh, South Alabama, where they host the Senior Bowl. So spent some time in their offices. So there was like a little sign day talk. Uh, Troy was signing a junior college offensive lineman. But one of the most interesting conversations I had on the sideline at the Senior Bowl was with Hugh Freeze. Um, and it's an extension of a conversation I've had with a bunch of other college coaches. So a lot of the college coaches have just gone out in January and visited high schools. And there's an undercurrent reset at these high schools of coaches who are angry that the portal is taking away from high school recruiting, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the power uh, these powerhouse schools, whether it's Bosco in New Jersey or Bosco in LA or the Hoovers in, you know, here or uh, down in Alabama, or if you want to roll down to South Florida, the St. Thomas Aquinas, whatever it is, those powerhouses feel like they're being under-recruited right now because, look, if you're, you know, just Johnny SEC coach, right? Um, would you rather have a 21-year-old running back from Toledo who can come in and you know has taken, you know, 200 college carries and rushed for 1,500 yards, or would you rather take an unproven 18-year-old who's going to be a knucklehead and he's got to go in the weight room and you worry about academics and all that stuff? And like the answer is, you're going to take the proven guy. All these guys are essentially on one-year contracts, no matter what their contract says. So you're going to take the safe thing. So there's an element of really talented high school players who aren't getting looked at. So Freeze had an interesting suggestion that that I agree with. Um, I, I think in theory, and I'm going to explore the the sort of high the the icing of the high school prospect because I think that's a fascinating unintended con- mm-hmm. consequence to where we are with the portal right now. He said you should let the high school kids sign anytime they want. From August until, you know, let's just say December 1st, right? I'm making that, that, that back end up August to mid November, whatever it is. Anytime you're ready to sign, you can sign. And that way it forces college programs to say, you know what? We're going to take this kid. Um, not let's see who comes in the portal. Let's see if we can do better. And then if we can't, we'll go and take a high school kid. So. Um, you know, Freeze was like, I'm going to build Auburn through recruiting high schools. I'm not going to build Auburn through the portal. Now, he took a bunch of portal guys this year because the roster is uh, a bit of a mess, as mm-hmm. it is most times when coaches when coaches leave. But um, it would – I think that would – and just generally, I'm in favor of high school kids getting recruited, right? Like we have no – you and I have no stake in any game and we don't root for anybody. Mm-hmm. But I just think that's healthier for the sport for yeah. programs to be built, built through high school recruiting, accentuated through portal recruiting and not the other way around. So 
I thought it was interesting, and I do think this offseason we're going to feel a drumbeat of that. I talked to another an ACC coach a couple weeks ago who was just out and about in high schools. A lot of these coaches haven't been in high schools for a while because of COVID rules and all that stuff. And he said the coaches were just angry like because they just felt like they'd been the, – the way the system was constructed right now, um, they were being neglected. So I thought that was an interesting, uh, an interesting little trend blip that uh, that came up from signing. So also Troy, they were the, very excited about a junior college offensive lineman they signed on Wednesday, six seven yeah. kid. So hope still springs what, eternal at every level. What what's the name of the stadium in Troy now? It used to be Movie Gallery Stadium when I called games there on Thursday nights or Tuesday night. It probably wasn't Thursday, it might have been Tuesday or Wednesday nights way back in the day. But I think that's is that I don't even know if that's still a thing. I think that, that it is Veterans Memorial Stadium. It is Veterans Memorial uh, Stadium. Oh, that's yeah. like going back old school. That was probably the original name or something. Yes, yeah. yes. There was a quaint as so a Troy, Alabama. This is what I learned on my my uh, my junket. Is the third smallest city in the FBS. Can you guess what the two smaller ones are, Reese? Ooh, okay. In the FBS. All right, let's see. Yeah, so third of the one thirty-one. Yeah. Okay, third smallest city in the FBS. I I don't have any. I know the smallest school is Wake Forest, but obviously Winston Salem's not small. Um, I will say, uh, nah, Kalamazoo's bigger than that. I don't. Kalamazoo's a city. How about how about uh, how about I don't know how big Las Cruces, New Mexico is. It's probably bigger than Troy. So I'll say this: we had game day at one of them this year. Oh, Boone, North Carolina, right? Mm-mm. No. Okay, L- who's Little Clemson? Oh, see, that's a that's a rip off. That's that. Clemson's not really small, or it kind of is, but okay. I mean, there's only like fifteen, seventeen thousand people. If if like, that's my, true, my, but it, my, yeah, but there's so many people in the outskirts. But no, okay, go ahead. The, the right. other no, one is Sorry. the other one is a little like jinky. It's it's West Point. Oh yeah. Okay. That's yes. That's true. So anyway, Troy, Alabama. How about first that? time I'd ever first time I'd ever been there. Lovely place. Thoroughly enjoyed it. There was like a really endearing hokiness to it. So you go to the they have beautiful facilities, by the way, like beautiful mm-hmm. facilities. Brent Jones A D showed me around. Um their football building's like a forty million dollar football building and it sparkles. So um, the one thing I've learned on this little trip going to South Valley is like the Sunbelt is you know, Sunbelt's invested. No, no, they're invested. Like mm-hmm. these schools are invested and it's competitive. But you stand at their football facility and it's like throw throwback America. It's literally right across the street, fire station number two, Troy, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And then the armory like of the town is right there. So it's just kind of like a little like a, an endearing pullback. Now, their county is also like there's only thirty thousand people in the whole county there, so they were very proud that they have twelve thousand season tickets. Um, they they led the Sun Belt in men's and women's basketball attendance last year. It's a cool little town where people care. So the thing that impressed me, let's say there's twenty thousand people in Troy, Alabama. How many towns of twenty thousand people in America have a D two, D three, NAIA school? Just little dots on the map. And here it is. In why in Troy, Alabama? Did they have seven Sun Belt championships? It was just kind of a cool little like try hard place. And they've clearly, you know, they've, they've the same chancellor, Jack Hawkins, for 35 years. They've clearly prioritized athletics. They're clearly in a state, as you well know from being from there, that cares about mm-hmm. it. So it was a it was a very cool visit. It was it was really John Summerall, who I don't know if you've run across Reese, is a really young, engaging coach who, you know, 
gave that thing a lightning bolt and they went 12 and 2 after we saw them in Boone uh, lose on the uh, Hail Mary. They, did, they haven't lost it. They have the second longest winning streak in the country. So, anyway, um, part of my job and part of the thing I like, um, there's there's still places 20 years into this that I haven't been. So, I enjoyed my trip to Troy, Alabama. The, what, have you been to all 131 no, campuses recently? No, not at all. Uh, not okay. even close. But I've been. I've have been you been to, to all the FBS? No, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry all the uh, all the Power Fives. Mm, probably, um, I think so. I'm trying to think of any that I might have missed somewhere along along the way in the Power Five. I don't. I don't think I've missed only any. one I haven't been to is Pullman. Of oh, the obviously, whatever. I've been there. I've never been yeah. to Pullman. So sure. Uh, now, obviously, so, you did, um, you did game yeah, we day did game day there, there. and I'd also called a game there previously. So game day wasn't even my first trip. There. Okay, I did a, a Washington State Arizona State game there on Halloween night. Uh, Halloween night in Pullman, something to see. Uh, Jesse Palmer and I talk about some 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 overserved. Uh, <laughs> student might have buddy. happened, yeah. Might might have happened. Might have happened, yeah. There might have been might have been a beverage uh, consumed past dark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But just as it was starting to get dark and the game was about to kick off, there uh, there there had been festivities yes. well yeah. underway. Well underway there. Pete, enjoy the time at the Senior Bowl. I'll be on a basketball beat. If you need anything else about basketball, just know this. Zach Eady from Purdue, I've decided he's a cheat code. He's like a, he's like a video game. They say he's 7'4". He looks like he's 7'9 with a 12-foot wingspan or something. <laughs> it, it's, it's amazing. He just, they get in trouble every now and then. Now, last night, they had a guy come off the bench. Mason <clears throat> Gillis hit nine threes. That certainly helps. But... Michigan State the other day, they get in trouble, and they just say, okay, let's just throw it to the rafters. Let him catch it and just reach over all these guys and just deposit it in the basket. And he, he's, uh, he, he's, he's fun to watch, something to see. They're, they're really, really good. So they, they might, maybe they're, maybe this so I'm going to leave year. you with this challenge, Reese. Right. Next year, yeah. I know you have a busy basketball schedule and you, you, you can't control where they send you. I want you to carve out two days and come join me in Mobile. All right. You would love it. Stand on the sidelines. You BS with the scouts. It's good for your draft prep. Obviously, you do an unbelievable amount of draft prep because it's it's a very difficult event to uh, to prepare for. In fact, I bumped into Lewis Rick yesterday, and he was complimentary of you on day three of the draft being as encyclopedic as you are on uh, on day one and day two. Um, so yeah, come come join us in Mobile. We'll have some oysters. We'll uh, we'll kibitz on this. I saw four SEC coaches here on Tuesday, so it's good to good to catch up and rub some elbows. I'll, I'll so, make that uh, I'll make that happen yeah. next year. That'll be that'll be fun. I look forward. All to right. It. Yeah, we can do it. We can do a live pod from Winston's. <laughs> All right, my man. Enjoy down there, and we'll uh, we'll right. we'll talk soon. We'll be back on the pod next week, off season from college football. Generally, once a week, maybe twice as basketball cranks up. Thanks for joining us on the College Game Day podcast. Be sure to download wherever you prefer to get your podcast.